Welcome to another episode of the Wednesday Conversation. I'm Dusty White, and I'm here with Pastor Bob Thune of Corndale Church and Pastor Chris Hemelman of First City Church. And on Wednesdays, we sit down to talk about how the gospel of Jesus Christ connects to the questions and issues of everyday life. And today, we're talking about how to think about, quote unquote, gentle parenting. We'll get to that in a minute. Snacks today provided by Brian Sullivan. Yeah. Some puppy chow. Solid puppy chow right here. Hard to eat puppy chow and sound good in a microphone at the same time. <laughs> so I've been muting my microphone while chewing and then unmuting to talk. That's very kind. Um, so gentle parenting. This was this topic was sent to us by a listener. And they were basically saying like, hey, Gospel Coalition had this article recently called Is Gentle Parenting Biblical? Then there was a, a response on Instagram from someone who is a proponent of gentle parenting. And so there's kind of a conversation back and forth here. And anytime people ask us to talk about parenting topics, I really feel like that's an important topic for Christians to think about. Obviously, how we raise children affects what the next generation looks like. And man, this is a place where every parent needs wisdom. Every parent's perplexed. Everybody's looking for like, man, what should I do? And how do I do it? And how do I raise kids in a wise and God-honoring way? And so, of course, we want to take up this topic and be as helpful as we can. So let me start with like the broad strokes of the conversation, I guess. And then Dusty's looking at me with a quizzical look. Well, I just so. think like gentle parenting. I need I need you to kind of frame that up. Like, what is Chris, it? Chris was joking. This is like Christian nationalism. Like, what does that <laughs> phrase mean? I think you should be gentle as a parent. That's a good thing. Yeah, not a bad. I think I might agree with that, you know, like if, just, just with the word. But this is gentle parenting TM. Apparently, this is like a TM. You know, this is like a... This is like a brand for a certain approach to parenting. And I, I've tried to, you know, here, here's what I realize as a pastor, okay? Two things. Number one, man, every parent needs wisdom. And every parent's trying to figure Preach. out, hey, how can I get some help raising kids well? And sadly, I realized, and people are answering that question on social media these days. All day. And so they're going to TikTok and they're going to Instagram and they're, they're following people who write about parenting. And apparently this gentle parenting movement is mainly coming through social media. This author mentions an Instagram handle called Big Little Feelings, uh, a podcast called Good Inside with Dr. Becky, a blog like Lucy at Home, and some TikTok accounts. And so uh, there's this whole sort of movement around gentle parenting. And then I, the listener sent us Flourishing Homes and Families, which is a Christian sort of take on gentle parenting that's been around since 2019. It's a couple out of Texas who sort of uses their Instagram account as a way of sort of training people or equipping people for parenting. This Gospel Coalition article, here's the, here's the biggest pushback this person has. And you, you hear it in the title of that podcast, Good Inside with Dr. Becky. <laughs> Dr. Becky, who's actually Dr. Becky Kennedy, uh, she has a PhD in psychology from Columbia University. She says children are good inside. Here's a quote from Dr. Becky. Mm. I truly do believe that we are all good inside. When you're confident in your child's goodness, you believe in their ability to behave well and do the right thing. And well, Chris. <laughs> that's what I think about that. <laughs> Chris is simply going to chew puppy chow moments to that. The Bible does not teach 
that your child is good inside. In fact, the Bible teaches that the the thoughts of man are only evil continually, Genesis 6, 9, and that your child is born in sin, uh, Psalm 51. So the downside here is, are, are we got to start with a proper anthropology. Of course, your child is made in the image of God, and so they there is goodness inherent in their being. But whether we're starting from a presupposition that they're, they really want to do the right thing and all they need is a little encouragement from you, or we're starting from the premise of their rebellious sinner who probably wants to be their own God, means we're going to go two different directions. Yeah, right. It's interesting that, that you know, like Dr. Becky's mom, I wonder if she would say, <laughs> you know, Dr. Becky, she was great at too. You know, just amazing, really good insight. So that's the main concern the Gospel Coalition author has is just to say, hey, I'm concerned this is starting from an unbiblical starting point. Um, and I think that's all, all of our decisions about what to do in life are downstream from our assumptions about theology. Mm-hmm. Who is God? Yeah. What does it mean to be a human being? What does it mean to live in the world God has made? Um, as a Christian, you may not start from the presupposition that your child is good inside. And so to the extent that this approach sort of relies on that sort of thinking, um, let's go ahead and throw it out. Yeah. So whatever potentially good insights it has, we have to reject its fundamental foundation though. Yes, correct. Now, I went over to the Instagram account for Flourishing Homes and Families, which is something this listener sent us, and they're trying to say, hey, we don't believe that kids are good inside. They say, you know, we're, we're using the phrase gentle parenting, but we don't mean it in the same way that everybody else means it. Uh, we do believe that um, children are, are sinful, but the problem they have, the issue they take is with punishment. And they rightly say, hey, punishment mm-hmm. is retributive. It's, it's something that government that God gives governments permission to do, but that parents are to discipline their children. And they take the perspective that discipline primarily means in scripture training that corrects or molds or shapes the moral character. And their particular angle is that the only consequences parents should use are natural consequences. So that like you know, you should allow natural consequences to be the teacher for your child rather than imposing um, a parentally imposed consequence. So if your kid's going to run out in the street, you just are like, hey, <laughs> give it a shot. There's a car coming. You're going to put your, your hand own. in the fire. I mean, well, there you go. Dusty, I, I don't know. <laughs> um, I'm just going to read to you from the Instagram account. It says a consequence is what happens immediately after a behavior. Consequences can be both positive and negative. Natural consequences, no action from an adult is needed, and related or logical consequences, action from an adult is needed, are used within the context of reasonable expectations and boundaries. They say in their narrative next to this, gentle parenting doesn't intentionally inflict emotional or physical pain as a way to correct or manage behavior. Let me read that again. Gentle parenting doesn't intentionally inflict emotional or physical pain as a way to correct or manage behavior. Gentle parenting isn't about keeping your kid happy. It's about keeping your expectations and boundaries appropriate for your child and holding them peacefully in a way that honors the dignity of the child. Now, I think there's beauty and good in this. I think there's uh, there are certainly ways that parents sometimes um, crush the personhood of their children yeah, through yeah, their expectations. Yeah. And so this is getting at something that's really crucial as a parent. What I absolutely fundamentally disagree with and reject is 
that you should not intentionally inflict emotional or physical pain as a way to correct or manage behavior. I actually think that's your job as a parent, according to the book of Proverbs. Spare the rod, spoil the child. That's right. So, I, and, and I'm going back here to... <laughs> Chris is a couple bulls deep. <laughs> <laughs> guys, I'm guys let, me know when you, uh, let me know when you guys got something to say. Show. So, the concern here is, and this is what you always see. So, there are... T- I'm going to risk going third way and making everybody mad, okay? But there are always two sides of the horse to fall off of as a parent. One side is sort of authoritarian parenting where your kids are afraid of you and where you use your authority in a heavy-handed way that, that crushes their will and creates fear. The other side of the horse to fall off of is a permissive approach that sort of lets the child become the leader and you as a parent are responding to your child. The the mean between those extremes, the, the place that biblical wisdom calls us to as parents is imposing consequences on our children for the sake of training them in wisdom. So I actually think the distinction they make between punishment and discipline is a good one. Our job as parents is not to punish our kids, meaning just like making them pay for the bad yeah. stuff they did. Our job is to discipline our children and discipline does involve inflicting both emotional and physical pain, in my opinion, as a way to correct and manage behavior. And here's what I would say. You cannot reason with a two-year-old. Preach. Go ahead and try. Go, go try and tell me how it goes. <laughs> it's never gone well in the history of the world. And so the job of a parent, the thing that I think this gentle parenting approach misses is the biblical category of authority and the reality that authority is required of God required of parents by God, and no one automatically loves authority. Like rebellious sinners do not want to come under authority. And because your child ultimately in life needs to come under the authority of God, the way that God has designed the world is that by coming under the authority of mom and dad, a child learns what it is to submit to authority, which then prepares them to submit to the authority of God, which is why as a parent, you have great responsibility for how you use your authority And God holds you responsible for using that authority in a loving and kind and formative way. But you do not have freedom to just not be an authority. And that's what a lot of parents kind of want. It's like, how do I raise my kid without ever having to create boundaries for them or be an authority or tell them, stop it or don't do that or you may not talk now? And the problem is, to be an authority, you actually have to have authority. Authority is in the Bible. And uh, when you started talking about authority, I wrote in the margin over here earlier, authority is good and it's not autonomous. And I think that the, the whole premise here of the, the alternative way of parenting here is that authority must be bad and we better just embrace autonomy. Because if I want my, if I just want natural consequence to fold into my child's, uh, you know, learnings, then I'm just going to trust the autonomous way. And that's not the biblical way. Authority is good. And our culture is telling us that it's not. And there is bad authority. Yeah, there is. So we got to say that. But like in the family, especially in a Christian family, hopefully for the most part, authority is good. Yes. When I was reading this article and the description of how to engage, like you were saying, a two-year-old, you can't reason with a two-year-old. And and I don't know if the, the more Christian version of this does this exact thing, but the description was process the, the kids' emotions with them. Yeah. And I was reading that going, how many kids at that age even know what they're <laughs> feeling? Like no right. one. They, they don't have the insight to be able to process with you in that moment. They're, they're, they need 
sort of that parent to come in and redirect and kind of bring uh, order to the chaos of their emotions. So it felt not only does it miss the anthropology of kids being sinners, I think it also misses on the level of understanding kids' emotions, of, of how in control a kid is and how much insight a kid has with their emotions. So that that's what also stuck out to yeah. me. Is like, that just feels way naive. Yeah, you're asking a lot of your three or six Yeah, old, yes, you know. it's putting your kid in a position that they have no capacity to handle. Now, let's let's tell a few stories and let me push the conversation even further, okay? I think that we live in a moment where um, the authority of therapists and experts is almost unquestioned. Yeah. And so what you tend to have with all these parenting things is, hey, this book was written by a guy with a PhD, or here's a woman who's a therapist and she knows what she's talking about. And so all Christian parents are looking to like the social sciences for like, hey, here's the new sort of way of doing things. In fact, in this, uh, this gentle parenting website, they say, parenting principles that are rooted in the teaching of Jesus and backed by modern neuroscience. And I think that's that's a statement of authority. The play they're making is, hey, if it's backed by modern neuroscience, that's how you know, hey, this is this is good, this is tested. And I that makes me realize I don't think that the social sciences are bad. I think we can learn a lot from them. But where I want to push back for parents, especially, is to say, hey, the fact that neuroscience or that modern social science says something about it tells you nothing about is it good or bad, right or wrong in the eyes of God. The way we know that is that modern social sciences are also what's being used to tell to tell you that your boy might be a girl and your girl might be a boy. Like, so, so you have to question the authority structure that's there and ask, okay, what does God say in His Word, and what can we actually learn from centuries and centuries of human history? People have been raising kids ever since the dawn of time. There have always been wise kids and foolish kids. There have always been rebellious kids and less rebellious kids. Human history has a lot to tell us here. What do we learn and see? from sort of the wisdom of the centuries that has come before us. And what I realize is true for a lot of parents is a lot of people in our church didn't have good models in their own home. They don't want to do parenting like their parents did. And so they're just going like, I need some help, man. Where do I look? And you know, if the Instagram account, if the Instagram account has something to say, I'll just start there. And so I realized the great need for wisdom here. But the story I want to tell you is a story that my mom likes to tell because I'm just like, because <laughs> this is the thing that every parent of a toddler understands. And by neglecting this, we neglect it to our own peril. My mom likes to say, and my mom is a wise woman and she is, yeah. she has raised a lot of kids and a lot of grandkids. And she likes to say, listen, the, the battle of the knowledge of the tree and good and evil plays out in every toddler's heart. And meaning there is always going to be a struggle for authority. Yeah. And it's going to play out when your child is so small that you're surprised at how rebellious they are. We're not talking like the terrible twos. We're talking like this might be at 14 months or 12 months or 16 months. It's as soon as a child is old enough that their will starts to express itself. And here's the story my mom tells. And I'm like, yeah, that, that makes sense. She, she tells the story of me when I was a toddler and she was in the kitchen cooking food and I was in there playing with the pots and pans because she would just set me on the on the floor and let me play with the pots and pans. And, uh, you know, she, she asked me, we were done. And she said, Hey, Bobby, put the, put the pans back in the drawer, you know, like just ask me to do that. And I, I was old enough to understand that command and old enough to understand what she was asking. Chris, can't you see him? Like, sitting here? <laughs> and I, I just looked up at my mom and I just shook my head and went back to, and so she, so 
<laughs> so as she, I'm envisioning this in my head, it's Bob with like a baby, but it's his adult yeah. face. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I refuse to put the pots and pans back. So mom takes me to the room, gives me a spanking, which by the way is a kind and gentle thing to do when done appropriately and biblically. I think, you know, spanking is another one of those words that's like a, a third rail because it's like, man, sometimes that can be done in really abusive and angry ways, but when done properly and biblically, it's very whole and helpful. So she takes me out of the room, gives me a spanking, brings me back in, says, put the pants away. I still wouldn't do it. So she says this went on like five or six or seven times. And she said, I just had to like, in that moment, I knew that like, this is, this is what my night is about now. Like, this is the most important thing. So she's like, whatever food I was making no longer mattered. What matters is that you obeyed in that moment. Yeah. And so she just knew like, I'm going to keep disciplining you and bringing you back to this moment. However many times it takes to break your will. Yeah. And I think when people hear that phrase, break the will, they think you're doing something hurtful to your child. Actually, you're doing the most loving thing possible in the same way that breaking a horse is good for the horse and good for the rider, right? If you have a wild horse, you have a lot of potential and you have a lot of strength, but that strength is not under control. When people talk about breaking a horse, they mean allowing that horse to receive a saddle and receive a rider in a way that maximizes the capacity of the horse for productivity and for serving the human beings around it. And in the same way, what a toddler needs is to come to the moment where they realize, oh, I am not in authority here. I am required to submit to your authority and you're not going to let me get away with it. And usually once you have that fight with a toddler, it changes the dynamic of the relationship. Yeah. If you continue losing that fight to your toddler, guess what happens? You continue losing that fight for about the next 20 years. So I always tell parents like, hey, whenever that moment happens, like with our son, it happened when he was, I don't know crawling and it was like a outlet on the wall where he would go touch it. And I'd be like, Hey, don't do that. That's dangerous. And so I smacked his hand and said, stop. And then he went back and did it, you know, same thing, six or seven or 10 times. So that battle plays out in every toddler's heart. And, and my mom is just good at saying like, Hey, your job as a parent is to win that battle. And like, however long it takes, be faithful, win that battle. Mm -hmm. And, and then children learn, okay, I can't, I don't get to be God. There's another, there's God has put another authority in my life. And generally from there forward, it's not that parenting becomes easy, but it's that that battle of authority has been established. And so the child knows, okay, mom and dad aren't going to let me be the authority here. And sometimes that takes a long time. Sometimes it happens in a moment, but that's, to me, that's the thing that this approach misses is the necessity. Like in, in the example of like my toddler's throwing a tantrum. Let me get down on their level and talk to them about their feelings. Nope, that's not your job, mom and dad. Your job is to say, stop it. We're not going to have this moment right now, you know? Yeah. And to apply consequences in a way that that brings the child to at least an understanding of like, okay, I can't, I can't disobey. I can't be rebellious. Now, rest assured, I have raised four children. They're all very different human beings. Some of them have big emotions. Some of them have small emotions. So I have seen this work across spectrums mm. with different mm -hmm. kinds of human beings. This is not a one size fits all approach. It's not like, Oh, that only works if your kid is like not very emotional. Nope. It, like I'm just telling you the steady wise biblical approach is you have to be an authority in your child's life. The Lord does not allow you as a parent to let the child be the authority. And that's what troubles me about this approach. And one of the things that I've heard as a narrative is that what that dynamic you described inevitably leads to anger and sin and dysfunction in the child parent relationship. And so you should, you shouldn't get into that battle because you're just going to engage it in a very sinful way, in a very broken way. And it's going to 
you know, harm the relationship. And so there's a lie that are, that again, I think to some degree, I'll, I'll be generous with the gentle parenting, but I think there, to some of this approach, there's a lie that assumes that that is the inevitable consequence of what you just described. And it doesn't have to be sure. Does it open the door for things? And did you, do, will you always do it perfectly? No. no, but by the power of the grace of God, you can actually do that in a way that is healthy and promotes a, a flourishing child and a good relationship between you and your child. So I think it's important for parents to also acknowledge where they hear this lie that it's, this is what inevitably is going to happen to me. And I'm, I'm going to fall off this cliff of anger. And so I better not even go down that road where it's like, no, it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. And you're going to need the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit yeah. to yeah. shape you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and absolutely. You, and you're going to, you're going to be repenting your way through it. Yeah, exactly. You're free to repent as a parent to <laughs> yeah. your kids. Yeah. Speaking yeah. of, uh, uh, the PhD folks, uh, one of my mentors who has one of those and is an expert <laughs> in relationships. He has this line. He says this, Chris, to what you just said. He says, he says the impact of a parent who repents and asks for forgiveness has more impact than if that parent would have done it right in the first place. Amen. And so what he's saying there is like, yeah, as parents acknowledge they're screwing up yep. to their child and are repenting, they're modeling the full gospel, right? Mm -hmm. Now, yeah. now to your comment though, I would say like, yeah, you can't be flying off the handle and flying off the handle in anger. You do need to have self-control and the fruits of the spirit. So you do need accountability in that and you need to get help in that and manage your way through that uh, effectively with others around you. And Bob, uh, a couple of comments here on stuff you said moments ago about your mom and the discipline there, uh, you know, the spanking. I, I would just want to encourage parents, man, if you don't know what you're doing there, ask wise counsel. Um, there are people around you that, that can help you there. And then I also just want to note the amount of time that that took your mom, people are not willing to put no, in. No, they're not. And so like moms and dads are like, wait, so you're, you're saying like, I got to give up my whole evening. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm saying, yes, yes you, you do. do. Because it's one evening. Yep. Like that shapes your character for a lifetime. Yes. And yes. it was, you know, it delayed dinner. Yeah, it did. You're, Big you're, deal. You're exactly right. Yeah. And the, um, the wisdom there of moms and dads being willing to invest in knowing when that moment's happening and saying, all right, this is now so I, what demands my attention. That's the place where we have to obey the Lord. And to your point before that, Dusty, man, repenting, if you never get angry at your kids, you are Jesus. Like <laughs> parenting is going to bring out your anger. And so what that means is you are going to have to be able to repent to your kids, say, I'm sorry, say, hey, I got angry or I responded in an unhelpful way or I got provoked and I didn't respond to you or, or you know, treat you in an appropriate way. That, that's wonderful for kids because they see you're a sinner who needs the grace of God right? Your job isn't to do it right. Your job is to apply biblical wisdom and apply the gospel to yourself and to your kids. And I, I like that you voiced that sort of fear that people have, Chris, of like, oh, well, that, you know, once you get into that kind of dynamic with your kids, you know, you're going to like poison the whole relationship. That fear is what causes people to make some really bad decisions mm -hmm. in parenting. Um, and I think it's helpful. I, the reason I like to put the focus on that dynamic of authority is because I want parents to hear two things. One, yes, it is possible to use authority in ungodly and sinful ways. Two, it is equally sinful to not be an authority in your child's life. If you are unwilling to have authority in your child's life, then you are breaking the commands of the Lord. So mm. your job is to be an authority. 
Now, you might not like being an authority. You might wish God hadn't given you that, but sorry, that's what it means to be a parent. So, so now you have to expect your child to obey. I, somebody, somebody told me recently, she was like, hey, you said this at a parenting conference once, and it's haunted me ever since. <laughs> and what I said was, we expect more of our dogs than we expect of our kids. <laughs> yeah. Because you'll train your dog, like I'll train my dog to like go outside and, you know, come when I call and go to the bathroom in a certain spot in the yard. And, you know, like I, I can train my dog and I expect my dog to do certain things. But oftentimes people think like, well, kids, <laughs> you can't expect of a kid the same kind of like obedience you would expect of a dog. And I'm like, well, actually you can expect more because they're a, they're a sentient being made in the image of God. <laughs> and like, they have a soul. And they have a soul. So, um, you know, the, the basic training dynamics of helping your kids, you know, be courteous to human beings and helping your kids know how to sit quietly in a room when they're asked to, or, you know, how to thank someone for, um, an experience they need to express gratitude for. I guess what I, what I'm troubled by in some sort of quote unquote gospel centered approaches to parenting is that because we, when I preach the gospel frequently, I talk about how it's not behavior modification. And so parents get all wrapped around the axle. Like, well, it's, I, I'm just asking my kids for behavior modification. I'm, <laughs> I'm after their heart. Yeah, I'm after, I'm their, after heart. their heart. I don't want to just modify their behavior. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. But the way that works is with an immature person, modifying their behavior is how their heart gets changed. Ask any addict how they got clean. And the answer yeah. is they started with detox. They started by getting the substance out and just modifying their behavior because that's foundational to get yourself in a place where the deeper work can happen. And so Christian parents should not set those things at odds with each other and say like, well, I don't just want to expect behavior. I want to get after their heart. Your job is to do both. Yeah. And oftentimes by modifying their behavior, it's a way of preparing them for the heart work. Just like that story I told about my mom. Was she changing my toddler soul at that moment? No, but she was establishing some behavioral expectations that then set me up for learning and growth and obedience later on. She wasn't getting to your heart, but she was breaking in yeah. <laughs> so that the Lord could get to your heart exactly. later on because he's the ultimate authority anyway. Yeah. And she's trying to set you up to obey him. Yeah. Yeah. My wife and I have six children and we've always uh, disciplined and raised our, our kids according to six values. The fourth value is obey authority. The fifth value is respect mom and dad. Mom and dad are always the primary authority for a long time, but you're always aiming at other authority. They're going to have teachers and other folks in their life, bosses <laughs> eventually. And uh, I was out at a, a, a practice. Uh, one of my kids started a new sport and the head of school where we go to school was, uh, is one of the coaches. And so he was out there and he came up to me and he said, uh, every time your child comes into my office and addresses me or interacts with me. He said, I just got to tell you, it's one of the kindest kids I've ever met. And I, guys, I had no idea what to say. Like th this guy has not known that kid very long. And if he had any idea of what that effort was like, <laughs> if he would have known years and years of hard work, listen, if he would have any idea, like if he would have tried to teach that kid at three years old in Cormdale kids, man, he would have pulled his hair out. Yep. So, yep. um, so anyway, I'm just, I'm telling that story to, to say, stick with it. The authority of the household is important in the long run. Yeah. You're, you're playing the long game, man. That's a beautiful story. Uh, and, and to 
go back to a point I made earlier, your kids need it. Like there, there is a sense when they're at yeah. that age, there, there is a, a, a conscious purposeful rebellion, but there's also a lot of, of things in that they, when they do have emotions, they're not mature enough to handle them. So they need you to step in. So, so there are ways in which that, that is what parenting is when, when they're immature and they're not developed and know how to handle certain aspects of their being, they need an authority to come in and put those guardrails to correct, to give them a sense of clarity in their, in their life. And so to not do that feels just neglectful and, and, and missing what the child needs in those moments. So I, I just, I, I was, I, again, I was blown away when I was reading this of processing through with the emotions with a child that has no idea what in the heck they're even feeling. It's something and it's intense. And so to, to, to put that on them rather than to say, Hey, I'm going to redirect you or, Hey, you need to obey in this way. And, and they don't necessarily understand in the moment, but it's, it's, it's moving them towards something such an important thing for parents to do. Well, and the, the response, this is where I always say parenting is leadership, right? And the responsibility of leadership is knowing where people need to go yeah. and knowing how to help them get there. And so when you're a parent, you understand, Hey, like to your story, Dusty, Hey, what I want, is a teenager who's like respectful of authority and a blessing to people. So what that means is when that kid's five, I got some work to do. You know, yeah. I got to be really diligent about yeah. the the work of training and discipline because that's what I'm aiming at. I, I think of first Corinthians 13 where the apostle Paul in a whole different context says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. What he's saying there is a common grace insight, which is like, yeah, there's a process of growing up and children are immature and our job as parents is to grow them to maturity. And that's a long-term commitment. And it's going to take training, discipline, instruction, wise community, help, you know, all those things. Yeah. And you, and you recognize as they get older and they hit a certain age, they are better able to process through their emotions. Exactly. But, but not they, at five. Yeah. And at five and, and for them to do that well, they need that process of maturing. They need the help of their parents to work towards that maturity because you know the difference between a, a 16 year old that has a level of maturity and can process through emotions versus a 16 year old that is just completely lacks self-control. Yeah. It's a different conversation. Yes. There's a simple category that someone gave me a long time ago that I think is helpful. And they said, you have a choice. You can have a child directed household or you can have a parent directed household. And that's, I think, the the sort of dynamic that's possible is the, the a biblical authority, right? When God says in Deuteronomy six, train, you know, um, teach, talk about these things when you walk in the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up, right? Teach them to your children. There's a proper sort of parent directed authority structure that God intends for the household. The opposite of that is letting the child be the authority, or letting the child direct the household. And when you have a child-directed household, you as a parent are always reacting to the next drama, the next disobedience, the next rebellion. And so I just want parents to have those categories to say, hey, your household needs to be parent-directed. You, you need to be the one in proper authority and under the authority of the gospel with the freedom to repent and acknowledge what you do wrong and go ask for forgiveness from your kids. And as long as we have that dynamic of authority in that dynamic of gospel freedom in place, usually raising kids is a lot of fun. It's never easy, but it's a lot of fun and it's a joy. So should you be a gentle parent? Well, yes, you should. 
gentleness is a fruit of the spirit. Should you follow the approach called gentle parenting, TM? We're not sure. I don't think so. I think there's some weaknesses to this approach. And I want, uh, I'm especially uh, wanting to urge Christian parents, don't take your parenting advice from Instagram. Um, Mm. Trust the people in your local church and ground yourself in the word of God and especially the book of Proverbs. Proverbs has so much to say about parenting. And, you know, it, it gives you, to your point, Dusty, it gives you that long-term vision for your kids. It says things like, a wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish son is sorrow to his mother. Just keeps you, helps you say like, yeah, what I want is a wise human. I want to raise a wise human being. And so it's going to take a lot of years, but that's the thing I'm aiming at. I want children who are a blessing to their father and mother and, and to others. The other thing I want to urge is, Dusty, you said this a few minutes ago. I was like, man, do this in community. I always say, man, one of my, one of my wife's uh, blessings in our church is just like, she'll come over to your house and sit and watch you hang out with your kids and be like, hey, here's what, here's what you're doing well and here's what you're doing wrong. You know, it's just like, you need people like that in your yeah. life. Just like an older person to sit in your house and say like, hey, here's the dynamic I see. Yeah. Here's a way you could sort of get on the other side of that. My mom was great for that for tons of people. Just like, all right, let me help you like lead your toddlers. My mom taught the three-year-old study school class for years when I was growing up. And she used to like, every time somebody would bring their kid and then the kid would like melt down because mom was leaving. My mom would just look at that woman and be like, hey, things are going to be fine in five minutes. Just go, just go to church. <laughs> you know, it's just like, yeah. just go to church. Your kid's just going to get over this in five minutes. Because, you know, parents are so nervous about like, oh, what if my kid doesn't, you know, they're crying back here for an hour and I'm in there in church. And so you, you need some of those wiser people in your life who have gone through this and who can like reassure you with like, hey, this is going to be fine. Or, hey, this is a problem. We should probably address it and get on the other side of it. So let's work together in community to build a a community of both gentle and authoritative parenting. The goal of this podcast is to equip our own church for discipleship and mission. So if you're a Christian or a church leader in another context, we thank you for listening in and we pray that this conversation might be helpful to you as you minister in your context. We always love to hear from listeners. So if you have thoughts, questions, or future podcast topics, send an email to podcast at cdomaha.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time for another episode of the Wednesday Conversation.